Hi, and welcome to the HSJ Health Check podcast. I'm your host, Annabelle Collins, and this week I'm joined by Sharon Brennan and Alistair McClellan. As I'm sure all listeners will already know, a new health secretary has been appointed following Matt Hancock's resignation over the weekend. Sajid Javid is rejoining the cabinet since standing down as chancellor in February 2020, and we'll be discussing what this means at a pivotal time for the NHS. Firstly, Alistair, I want to bring you in. Um, perhaps a good place to start. What was your initial reaction after his appointment was announced? Surprise, like everybody else's. Um, there had been much discussion that it um, uh, uh, would have been Michael Gove who was taking over. Uh, and I think um, while those who of us who'd watched the Tory party closely know, knew there was a desire to bring Sajid Javid back into government, uh, that he was brought back as health secretary um, is uh, uh, was a surprise to 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 all. I haven't seen to anybody who wasn't a surprise to. Um, uh, there was a lot of reaction about, oh, this is a former chancellor. Uh, this is a very experienced cabinet minister. This is somebody from the right of the Conservative Party and a whole series of um, projections then made uh, from uh, from the, that collection of, of, of facts. I would um, I would caution all listeners to this podcast not to draw nice, easy um, um, conclusions from any of the facts in Mr. Jaffid's past. Uh, people are changed by becoming health secretary. Um, you, uh, they're changed obviously by any job, but I think particularly by health. I have seen it happen a lot of times. Uh, there is something about the NHS, leading the NHS, that um, rewires politicians' brains. Uh, the politician and person, uh, who was Jeremy Hunt, who took over uh, um, uh, as health secretary in 2012, was very different from the one who left it uh, that record period of time uh, uh, time later. So I think we should be very careful not to make assumptions um, about what um, uh, Sajid Jaffid is going to do and to be careful to judge him on his actions. Um, he, has a ma- he has a reputation of pragmatism uh, and everyone says that he will carefully do his due diligence on the, the wide range of issues facing the NHS. And I know Sharon's going to talk about that in a minute. So far, he has done precisely one interesting thing, <laughs> uh, um, which is fine because, you, you, you know, basically you should be in listening mode during your first week. He has sent a tweet and it's interesting because, of course, Loads and loads of people have been commenting on his appointment. Uh, um, some of the uh, the good and great of um, uh, the political world and media, etc. But it is to one Henry Dyer, um, a uh, relatively junior, if I hope you won't mind me uh, saying that, political uh, um, uh, reporter who tweeted um, uh, about a day ago, hey, extremely boring optics. Big, extremely boring optics question, but why no NHS badge, much beloved by Hancock uh, uh, for Savage Javid, uh, and indeed also beloved by Jeremy Hunt 
you'll remember the whole saga of uh, was he wearing his badge or not wearing his badge when he went for the various reshuffles uh, 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 that took place during his time as health secretary. Anyway, it was to this tweet and this tweet alone, as far as I can see, um, or the rest, he's done a few other tweets, but um, all pretty straightforward stuff about hurrah vaccines. But it was to this tweet uh, that uh, he chose to reply. It's not about badges, but to delivering for the NHS. I have no idea what that tweet means, but I have a feeling it means something. We shall find out exactly what, uh, no doubt, uh, as the future unfolds. Alistair, you mentioned Jeremy Hunt. He tweeted very complimentary things about the new health secretary um, when he when the appointment was announced, and he mentioned his time at the um, as secretary of state for housing communities and local government. I wonder whether do you, do you think that that experience could serve him well, particularly with the you know the enormous social care challenge waiting for him in his um, intra at the moment. Well, I think what really will serve him well is the fact that he has been a cabinet minister for more than five years. Somebody who has also been a cabinet minister for more than five years uh, uh, spoke to me the other day and said, basically, for the first five years of a cabinet minister, you basically do what the prime minister says. If you survive five years, you learn that you can be your own man or woman. Uh, so I think much more, much more than experience in any particular department. It is his experience as a cabinet minister, knowing how government works across the board, that will be really advantageous uh, to, uh, to Sajid Javid. When he was at housing um, uh, uh, communities and local government, he was pretty much on the side of the NHS in most of the debates around delayed transfers of care. People may remember that period. He basically backed Jeremy Hunt and Simon's and Simon Stevens' desire for the money that was available around delayed transfers of care, uh, around sorry, um, uh, supporting social care, basically to support uh, or, or deal with the with the detox uh, problem much to the chagrin of um, uh, uh, of local government who felt that their their man wasn't um, uh, uh, wasn't fighting their corner. Um, indeed, there was uh, uh, HSJ's former sister title, Local Government Chronicle, commented that when Sajid Javid left, um, th that he had been one of the least enthusiastic um, uh, um, community secretary uh, that they had, that he had been very unengaged. So just because he was, he had that job does not mean, for example, that he will fight the uh, local government corner in the ICS um, uh, negotiations. He may do, but it doesn't mean it. Um, equally, it doesn't mean that he will um, uh, uh, demand social care reform. He might, but it doesn't mean it. I think that's a, a good point to bring you in, Sharon, um, around the ICS legislation. Um, this is obviously I mentioned in the intro, but it's a, a hugely important time for the NHS and that, you know, passing the legislation is part of it. Um, you've written a piece this week for HSJ. Could you tell listeners, I suppose, 
I know you've been having some conversations, but some of the things that have been coming out of, of those at the moment. Absolutely. So to give a bit of background, if Matt Hancock had resigned a week later, it's highly likely that the legislation would have been published in the form that he had worked it down towards mm. and we would be having a debate now about whether or not amendments could be made. Um, he, but in actual fact, what happened, he resigned on the Saturday. From what we understand, the legislation, there was going to be a meeting on the Monday to discuss publishing it with a view to publish it yesterday. And obviously that hasn't happened. Um, it's obviously understandable any new health secretary is going to want to kind of understand what's in a bill that he's presiding over. Um, but at the moment, um, all bets are off as to what way it's going to go. So for listeners, there seem to be three clear options at the moment. You can go ahead with the legislation as it is. Um, which has a lot of added bonus, bonus prizes, as uh, Sir Simon Stevens called it, which were added in by DHSC that go above and beyond what NHS England was asking for um, in 2019. Um, or you could go ahead with the bill, but with amendments and caveats to take out, to, to kind of take either take out some of the additions, such as um, kind of the power grab that's been described when Matt Hancock was very keen to interfere in local reconfiguration of services, um, or you could just delay the bill entirely. Um, until we're here in potentially autumn. Um, and then again, if it's delayed, it could go back either way, it could then be delayed with a view to publish as is once he's kind of understood it more or with more caveats and amendments to it. So I think the key thing here is that no one actually is getting a clear signal from him which way it's going to go. Um, I have been told that he's much more of an analy analytical than an instinctive thinker and he's going step by step through the bill, which is maybe what you'd expect from someone with a financial background. Um, and there have been a few interesting comments that he has made in the Commons. So his first uh, kind of Q&A in the Commons as Health Secretary, he fielded, I think, over 30 questions, uh, committed to very little. Um, but very interestingly, there was a question from Dr Kieran Mullen, who is the MP for um, in Cheshire and Merseyside. Um, and he said that the Cheshire and Merseyside ICS doesn't, doesn't suit its constituents. It, it won't do them the service that they need. And he replied saying no decisions on ICSs have been made. Um, and that kind of, you know, what do you read into that? It's the same thing about, you know, his tweet about budgets. Um, does that mean he doesn't believe in them? Does that mean that he's getting a lot of MPs coming to him and saying, actually, they're a good thing, but not as they're configured? It was quite unclear. Um, but then, interestingly enough, a couple of days later, a, an adjournment debate was called in the Commons around this issue of ICS boundaries. Um, and for listeners, effectively, those ICSs that don't that aren't contaminated with local authorities, they're they're they're, they're now up for grubs to be re reboundaried, re uh, <laughs> re-established within the boundaries of local authorities. Uh, Frimley is up for um, kind of could be split in three. Uh, Mid-South Essex could become part of the Greater Essex ICS. And um, what we found was all the MPs hadn't really heard much about this and they were kind of up in arms saying what works now works really well so why are we changing it? We even had Theresa May actually making a, a stand for um, her maidenhead constituents who are part of Frimley. Um, and Edward Erger, the health minister, replied back saying Effectively, like if you believe that the decision is already predetermined, that's our challenge because it's not, and no decisions have been made. And you know, Sir G. Jarvid, you know, invites all of you, all members in this house that are concerned about your boundaries, he will have a conversation with you. And they, they basically said no decision will be made until that conversation has been had. Um, so that suggests that you know, maybe he is thinking about what's in the bill, whether the more contentious elements even need to to be contentious, or whether it's actually something that the previous health secretary really kind of push for very hard, which is what we know, um, but maybe with less kind of reason behind it than, than maybe Sir G. Jarvis can understand. So what we know is he's keeping his cards to his chest. He's going through the bill as we speak. There might be an answer by the end of the week as to whether he will publish next week. Um, but that's it. I mean, we've been speaking to people and, and you know, it is very hard to call this one. There, is, there doesn't seem to be 
you know, the, the kind of off record briefings that were happening before. Um, I think the, the key thing is if he publishes next week, he can get it through before the July, uh, for the summer recess, which is what the NHS wanted originally, because they, they need to see the bill published and, and, and kind of the second reading happen, so they can push on with the, the things they need to do for the ISS to be statutory. Um, but Alistair's here, and I've Alistair, I'll bring you in here, that um, even though he might not be able to get the second reading before the beginning of the July, that doesn't actually mean the end of the bill. So a little while ago, we were hearing from people saying it can't be done. If you can't get the second reading before the end of July, then ISIS is not going to be statutory in April 2022. Alistair's obviously now heard something different, so I'm going to bring you in here. Let's put, yourself, let's put ourselves in the shoes of the people that have been working incredibly hard over the last few um, uh, weeks and months to hit the deadline um, of last week, now, now, now dead week, in deadline. They have uh, basically sort of um, internalised the uh, belief that if the bill is, if the second reading does not happen before the summer recess, then it's all over. It's a disaster. It's, it's the end of the world. Now, one thing is absolutely for uh, perfectly reasonable. They might feel like that. I'm sure we would all feel like that. Um, uh, two things to say. One is it certainly would be a problem, uh, as you make clear in your piece, Sharon, one of the most important um, uh, jobs that needs to be done is, point, is to appoint the people uh, to lead the integrated care systems and they need to be chosen and in place and, you know, uh, have a chance to work out what to do before April 2022. Before we had this, um, uh, before the events of the last weekend, people were saying to me, we need to get on with that. We can't get on with that before the second reading. So, but it's okay. If the second reading is um, uh, um, in July, we can have a blitz on it in, in, in you know, late July, August, and it'll be a bit of a rush, but we'll, we'll, we'll get, we'll get through. If the, um, uh, if the second reading is in, you know, when do, when do they come back? It's after, it's October, isn't it? Late, uh, after the party conferences. And, but anyway, if it's in early autumn and they have to delay the appointment process, if they have to delay the appointment process, because they don't have to do it, it's sort of, you know, that would be, it would be convention to do it. It might look like, um, you know, contempt of parliament if they didn't do it, but they could just, if they did it, but if they had to wait for that time, it would be a, it would be a, it would be a problem. It would make things very squeezy. But that does not mean that it cannot happen. Certainly would a, be a right royal pain in the arse, but it doesn't mean that it would it couldn't necessarily happen. Inevitably, and um, uh, experienced uh, uh, NHS heads out there amongst the listeners will know this. Inevitably. HSJ will be reporting in the next 12 months that ICSs have been given an extra three months, an extra six months, an extra nine months to do X, Y, Z, because that's what happened in NHS reforms. So in summary, delaying the bill, if the bill is delayed now, it is a problem, but it does not necessarily mean that the the April 2022 deadline for them to become statutory bodies uh, uh, um, uh, disappears. It is more likely that various tasks that they are um, 
uh, responsible for jobs they have to do, things they have to um, complete um, in theory by that deadline. Those things get pushed back three months, six months, nine months, depending on what they are. And I think what we will start hearing, Annabelle, is um, I think if it does get pushed back, then we will start hearing clear asks from people as to what, what they want delayed beyond April 22 and what they want um what has to happen. So we do hear lots of people, NHS Confed talks about, you know, we just need to get make sure the basics are in place, but we now, I think there will be a lot of discussion about what those basics are. I think a lot of listeners, listeners to this podcast may have like, you know, been quite horrified when, you know, if you say to them, it'll be published in autumn, you need to go live in April. And I think there will begin to be a lot more public debate about what is possible, bearing in mind we could be going into quite a bad winter with flu. We still don't know how COVID will respond in winter as well. Um, but in my mind, there are obviously some bases that's got to be done staffing you've got to recruit people to the jobs and you've also got to toot people over from ccgs into icss and or make any redundancies and probably the next big thing is is the financial flow so effectively we are already seeing icss manage the finance they are be given kind of the capital budget they're being given um the money admittedly hop through a holding ccg to distribute and i think that would have to be resolved and that would obviously be top of the treasury list as well to make sure that, that you know once you're handing over these billions to icss there's a clear financial structure I think then everything else is up for grabs. Um, I think quite feasibly, some of the primary commission functions NHS England does would be expected to be pushed back. Um, you know, some people want dentistry and ophthalmology on the 1st of April. That's going to be, the, the, the more delayed the legislation is, the, the, the lower they ask for that will be. So, um, you know, it'd be interesting if it wants to, you know, get in contact, you know, what, what, what do you think is feasible and what is not feasible? Um, but beyond those things I've outlined, I think, Alistair's right, it would be like, let's have a, a slow evolution and not a big bang from the 1st of April. Um, but yeah, at the moment, we're still all up, up in the air. And I think an interesting point to add is if he does put, lay the legislation down on Monday, um, he will have then broken a custom in Parliament, which um, is not a standard, so he doesn't have to abide by it. But customarily, um, members are given, members of the House are given two weekends, two full weekends between the primary and the secondary legislative reading so they can you know read through the bill and that they would not have the time to do that it doesn't necessarily mean anything but obviously you, you did have labor coming out last week saying that's it scrap the whole top-down reorganization um so you might find a bit of a, 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 a argument over that but obviously an 80 seat majority still is immense but and also i wonder how how much do you think he might want to put some of his own kind of priorities and perhaps kind of character into it because he's obviously taking on the work that you know kind of got Matt Hancock's stamp on it I don't know um whether you think you'd expect him to want to do that as well I think rather than put his character on it I think he just might want to re remove um some of the kind of the very hard stamps that Hancock has placed on it I mean mm. listen to the boundary debate um on the Wednesday night, thankfully it, it finished, um, it started after the football finished, so I didn't have to miss any of the goals. Um, <laughs> uh, Theresa May actually made a really good point. She said the white paper says um, that uh, ICS boundaries um, are likely to have to um, align with local authority boundaries. So she's like, it's not necessary. It doesn't say all of them. It doesn't say they must. So she's like, it is not necessary to push through all these boundary changes. So that, you know, she's right. You don't have to change the bill then. You can yeah. just stick to the letter of what it says and actually back off. I mean, yeah. I've had people tell me that like the boundaries are predetermined in Mid-South Essex and the only way that would ever be a change now is if there was a change in health secretary. That was a few weeks ago. But now, you know, amazingly, I don't know, you know, we still don't know anything about that CCTV leak, but, you know, amazingly, there is now a new health secretary. So that I think people are beginning to have hope that they can do some more sensible uh, mm -hmm. 
management of the bill. I mean, Theresa May actually said in the parliament, you know, just use your common sense for once. They were her words. Don't um, don't fix what isn't broken. She's like, Frimley ICS is one of the best in the country. Why would you set yeah. it up? I just want to just to save us getting letters from our local authority and primary care listeners. Um, basically, it's true that a lot of people in the existing ICSs and a, um, a lot of people in the acutes don't want the ICS boundary changes. But there are also lots of people in local government and we're meant to be, you know, it's meant to be integrated care. We're meant to be, the NHS is meant to be taking more, paying more attention to what local government wants and in primary care who do want the boundaries changes. So, uh, you know, I think we got to be careful not to represent that the NHS as a whole or the health and care world as a whole doesn't want the boundary changes. There are a lot of people in the health and care world who do want those boundary changes. But I just, again, I'd caution it. I just, um, I think it's really, it's really, really dangerous to assume that Sachi Javid will do one thing or another until we have seen him make some decisions. We should Absolutely. see him make, once we've seen mm -hmm. him make some decisions, then we'll get a better feel for the man and the, his, uh, his approach to the job. But right about now, we're operating on almost zero information. So, well, mm. you know, sad for journalists to say, we'll just have to wait and see. <laughs> I think the one thing we can say, though, is that it, with, with the boundary changes at MS in Mid-South Essex, it became, a, you know, all about trying to influence and, and getting your voice heard. And I think we're effectively starting from scratch with that. You know, we have heard that he he's going back, he's taking meetings and thinking again. So potentially all that kind of jivying for power and who's going to win out, maybe that would have calmed down a bit and the outcome may be much more um, pragmatic. Um, but yeah, Alistair, you're right. James Illman, our colleague, wrote a really good piece recently about how primary care is very focused on boundary changes in Mid-South Essex. So it's not just about local authorities. I think it's easy to, to, to put it down between the arguments between local authorities and NHS Trust because it has become, it did become such a pitched battle to get the ear of the of the health secretary to try and make a, you know, make your point. And I think that has definitely kind of been calmed down. So mm -hmm. Alice is right, we've got no idea which way it will go, but he does seem to be thinking what he think, taking his own thoughts on, on the bill rather than just inheriting something and pushing it through, which I think a lot of people will be quite pleased with. It's just the timing that's a concern. Absolutely. And I think nobody expected to have a new health secretary and a new chief executive of NHS England in the same in the same summer. Um, how, how influential will Sajid Javid be in the appointment of the new health secretary, Alistair? Guess what I'm going to say? You don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> the answer is he's the health secretary. So clearly he is clearly he is going to have influence. How much influence? I haven't the faintest. I uh, haven't the faintest idea. We should find out relatively soon, you know, in terms of um, uh, HSJ has published a story today which details the appointment process um uh, for the um uh, um nhs england um chief executive and that is uh, and uh, you can read it and you'll see that it's a very complicated process 10 hours of interviews uh and a whole day of psychometric testing i would have given large amounts of money to see the look on jim mackey's face when they, he was told that he had to sit at his computer for an entire day uh doing psychometric testing um not i 
not I'm imagining, knowing Jim a bit, uh, what he would think uh, was particularly appropriate for, for, such a, for, for such an appointment. Though uh, at least it's better than um, uh, um, when David Nicholson um, uh, uh, was uh, appointed, because so I'm so I uh, I believe, and David will be in touch to tell me whether this is apocryphal. But apparently, during his his appointment process, um, uh, I assume for actually this would have been NHS chief executive and permanent secretary back in two thousand and six. He was asked if you were a dog, what breed would you be and why. So uh, I believe that to be true. He'll tell me that if it's apocryphal or not. Um, of course, I'm also really interested in the answer. I think we can all make our own guesses. Um, but but returning to the appointment of uh, of the next NHS England chief executive, um, I think the only thing we could say is that an experienced politician, and Sajid Javid is an experienced politician, would know that the relationship with the NHS England chief executive will be the most important one in his job other than with the prime minister uh, and uh, therefore he's going to want to be going to want to make sure that he can work with that person uh, and mm. as people have listened to this podcast before the uh, things that we've um, discussions we've had before uh, Annabelle when you've been chairing or the conversation that I had with Jeremy Hunt uh, a couple of weeks ago H I have been saying I can well see the appointment of the uh, next NHS England chief executive going on beyond the date at which Simon Stevens leaves either the 31st of July and this is another reason why I think the actual announcement uh, might be uh, in August or even September rather than uh, um, on the 31st of July or beforehand. I think there was something interesting that um, Alison was added on Twitter by Sally Warren, Director of Policy at King's Fund, about the piece that you wrote this morning. Um, and she just questioned some of the um, kind of some of the stages that people had to go through to be announced the NHS CEO. Um, and she, you know, she queried why there was no staff engagement process, given the importance of workplace culture. And she also said it would have been good to see patients, local government and charities having their voice heard as well within that process, which actually <laughs> I think shows you how much thinking of the NHS has evolved. Alistair's laughing, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to let him come in. I, mean, I literally read the story. I mean, 10 hours of interviews. I mean, uh, you've got to draw the you've got to draw the line somewhere. Um, all of the, there are lots of people involved in that interview who have significant experience of, um, you know, uh, the needs of patients and 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 and, and social care. Um, I mean, you know, it's not an election process; it's an executive job. Um, personally, I believe that there are way too many people involved in the uh, in the election process, and. Um, uh, 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 decisions made by committee tend to be not that great decisions. Uh, I don't think this will be made by a committee because although there are lots of people involved in it, um, it will come down to what the prime minister wants in the um, uh, in the end. Um, uh, but um, you know, it, 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 this I, I would suggest that this appointment process, as far as I'm able to tell, is the most involved. Uh, and the, the, uh, I think they are bending over backwards to show that this is a process in which um, it isn't 
it isn't a shoe in whoever gets it. Um, um, there are two Labour peers involved in the election process in the process, uh, Aradazi and Patrick Carter. So, you know, they really are going out of their way to say, you know, this isn't any kind of shoe in. Now, all the conspiracy theories are then saying, oh, that that that's a way to get hide Dido Harding's appointment um, uh, uh, because they can say, oh, look, look at the process we put through for. And it's just a smokescreen. That's rubbish, complete and utter rubbish. Um, you know, I've spoken to quite a few of the applicants uh, and um, they are pretty much they're, they're daunted by this process. It is, you know, it's it. it, it they knew it was going to be involved. I don't think they knew it was going to be quite this involved. Absolutely. And I think I think that's a good point um, this week to draw the podcast to a close. Um, as mentioned, Sharon's written her integrated column all about um, what the appointment of Sajid Javid um, could mean um, for the ICS bill. So do read that if you haven't already. Um, and just a reminder, as ever, we're available every week on the HSJ website um, and now and now across on all main podcast channels and now across Amazon and Audible too. Please don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. Thanks for listening and we'll be back next week. <laughs>